Peace family, we're back with another DOA TBM episode and you've tapped in, I'm back that online. This one's powered as usual by Anchor FM and as usual, we've got to give our props to Anchor FM for making sure that this podcast is put out to Apple, Spotify and all other major platforms. This week we're joined with another special exclusive guest and this one's actually even more special because this is our first female guest that we've actually had on the platform and stuff and as we wind down and put down the rest of these um, these seasons, I should say, this last season, it's going to be um, a few different female guests and stuff we're going to have coming in and we're going to be talking, shooting the breeze, exploring different topics. So this is one I'm definitely looking forward to myself as well. It should be quite interesting because this guest is one that has definitely traveled the world, garnered a lot of experience and left a lot of a big imprint on the work that she's done with people. So. Um, Without further ado, I'd like to introduce the anti-bullying specialist, Dr. Saiba Qureshi, AKA Dr. Q. Hi, Fonzie, how are you doing? Thank you for having me on your show. I'm good, thank you. Now, this may take us a bit of a time to sort of get into the flow of it because you're actually our first female guest, so I'm usually quite flowing into all of this sort of stuff, but this one's a bit different, so is I'm going to approach this one a lot different, so to speak, but um, I'm definitely glad to have you on here because you've got a lot of valuable information and experience. That Thank you so you. much. I'm glad to be the first female guest, but I'm very disappointed to hear you've had no female pr- guests so far, but yes, it's a privilege to be on your show and especially about a very, um, I would say, hot-hitting topic as well, which has preoccupied quite a lot of a big chunk of my life. Of course. And I mean, well, we haven't actually like tried to um, leave the female guests out. It's just sort of how it actually unfolded. And it was something that sure. I said to myself, mm-hmm. we definitely want to get some in now. And who better than to actually get females that we're um, A, accustomed with, that are out there doing good work and that we have um, relationships mm. with in the past. You know, we've done work in the past, supported by yourself and some of your organizations and stuff. And uh, yeah. we've, you know, we've looked into different aspects because i'll send you some of the the past episodes we've done with some of the the guy guests and stuff like that sounds a bit um, sure formulate but um we touch on different topics each time so you know for instance one of our next female guests she's going to be coming in and talking about like relationships and uh spirituality and all sorts of other different stuff but this one we're going to be touching on something that's more unique to yourself which is the anti-bullying sort of work, the work around racism and stuff, and especially in the time that we're in now where there's a huge amount of civil discourse just to be had and being had, it's good for us mm-hmm. to be able to um, share this platform and extend that sort of conversation. Thank you. Yeah, no no problem. I thank you for being here. So uh, I know a little bit about your work and I've done a bit of research and stuff myself, but for the people mm-hmm. sort of listening, um, where did you sort of get your start or what motivated you to start out within the work that you did? Well, essentially, I, I was living in the States. Um, I was actually in New York at the time. And, um, well, my ex-husband now, we were thinking about uh, migrating, immigrate, you know, moving back to the UK at that time. And uh, but I decided to go earlier. But I actually thought, you know, probably best if I could do some further studies. And this was purely because... 
my immigration, our immigration, we only had our green cards and, you know, and, and, and hindsight, I'm so glad I did because I would have ended up losing out on the U.S. immigration. Now I have dual nationality. But I decided to uh, pursue my studies further. Whilst I was working out in the States, I had um, been doing some internship work with uh, Northwestern and Princeton University on um, employment discrimination. And I actually enjoyed the more, you know, the less, I would say, a corporate world and more academic and research world. So I decided to do my PhD. And I got into Northumbria University, and uh, although my topic was not as clearly defined as most students were at that time, they've changed the rules around a lot, but I sort of fell into um, an area about looking into the intersection of bullying and racism in um, secondary schools, or in the US we call high schools, purely because racist bullying was an area that wasn't really, um, I would say, had been addressed. So there was that gap in the literature and there is a stark difference between racism and racist bullying because of the theory as well. So I ended up after about three, four months starting to do that. And it was a hard, long, 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 long piece of research. It took me six and a half years to complete it. Oh, wow. um, it was very multidisciplinary. I had to, I spent an entire year securing uh, positions to get into schools and out of 500 in Newcastle Fontaine, I got into three and that's because of the topics, the nature of the topics. And I was doing interviews and that again, that was an issue with schools, you know, talking to minors, I had to go through a whole ethical process. So, you know, I think it was just something that was just meant to be because getting into schools first is hard, but to talk about bullying and racism, it's an area that a lot of schools do not want to address or acknowledge they have a problem. So the schools that did accept me, they wanted actually me to help them. You know, they acknowledged they have a problem and, and you know, a, a brief re review report of my research, you know, maybe it would help them and their policies. So um, that's how I was able to get in. And as I said, it was a very, very complicated piece of research. The theory of bullying and racism, you know, they're completely polar apart on the, on the discipline scale. But actually understanding, it took me some time, but I'm so glad that when I had submitted in 2010, I had my Viva, the oral exam, and I didn't get the PhD straight away. I was super disappointed. Both my examiners, external and internal, were sociologists, and they wanted a lot more about bullying from a sociological perspective, because it is mostly found in psychology and educational psychology. And so it was more of a case of the revisit back to the literature, and as a result, my entire thesis grew. It was already over the word limit when I submitted it. It grew by an extra 40,000 words. Oh, wow. So as a result, uh, it, was, it was literally a book <laughs> by the end of it. And when, the, when I would say that the light bulb finally switched on, I realized I had a lot of extra work to do in such a short space of time. But in the process, uh, because of the media, I would have so, I, I learned so much about bullying. Um, my own experiences growing up as a, you know, South Asian girl in, you know, a predominantly white, a white school. I grew up in a Catholic school. And being the only girl of color, I faced my own prejudices, but I blocked a lot up. But doing this research reminded me of the prejudices that I experienced, not so much as a Muslim girl, but as a, as a dark girl or, you know, the word Paki, which is now, it made more sense to me that word, but growing up, I did not understand what that was meant by. So I actually really, you know, took the subject to my heart. And when I moved back to the States, um, 
I started applying for jobs with various children's organizations and I wanted to really continue with this topic. I just didn't want to completely forget seven years of sheer hard work, passion, sweat, blood and tears, the whole heart. And, and I hit a brick wall like three or four times where I just did not want to do it. You know, I did not want to do any more work. It really did grab, you know, it just pulled everything out of me to get it. So, and there was a point where I never thought I would actually complete the PhD. So to get it wasn't a huge achievement for myself. So um, I actually formed my own organization. It's called Action Against Bullying. And that was a, um, officially launched in 2015, but it was registered in 2016 in January. I got into you know, several schools. I was doing presentations, um, you know, training teachers, educational specialists uh, across schools in New York, New Jersey. I was working with youth groups. And it was interesting how even though my PhD, the research work I did was in, back in June 2006, that the theories, the thoughts, the feelings, especially towards people of color, I'm not going to just you know, generalize a specific race, just general people of color, and how much those feelings of resentment are still apparent to today. Um, I published my thesis into a book, I've got two editions, and then I got into the fitness industry as well. This is something, and I, I actually published a third book about three years ago, which was about using group fitness as a deterrent to bullying behavior. And I based it around one uh, amazing program, which I'm not sure if you heard about, it's called Boko. It's very big in this country, it's worldwide, but it's based from the, the, the creator's South African background down through South Quato. Okay. All about moving and uh, drawing the letters and digits with your feet, but the instructors use sign language. And it's broken up down into several formats. And I also got an opportunity to teach as a professor in New Jersey City University, in Jersey City, in the fitness exercise and sports department. So I actually created an undergraduate curriculum for Boca Dance, Boca uh, Punch and Strike, which is combat, and X, which is a completely separate program, but it is a dance fitness program inspired by the Bollywood film industry. And it was very successful there. Since I, I've now moved back to the UK, as you know, I'm in quarantine right now, but the memories of the university, it's just been absolutely, it's been my dream job. and. Because of the teaching, the interaction, it actually helped me to be able to write the third book. Because once I knew about the theory, but I wasn't able to connect the dots. So it's more of a contribution to knowledge. This whole notion of using fitness, the de-stressing, exercise, integrating to people, it's not as well talked about in the academic research as opposed to um, you know, other kinds of uh, preventative work and you know, inviting guest speakers, uh, groups to do role plays and things. So I actually was fortunate enough, I, um, I developed a program around bullying using, I call it Boku Against Bullying, the creator was super excited about my book and I actually carried it out at a school um, which was very multiracial. I had about 60 students in an auditorium and had the music blasting and I got it and it worked so well. The students didn't understand the objectives, but what I wanted, and it was a, it was a big risk because I thought this would either work or fall flat in my face. And, but it didn't, it worked extremely well. And I have got friends who are book instructors in, who live in Wales and people have bought my book and they actually want to go into schools and actually try and implement this. So it's, you know, that's just one form. So bullying and, you know, to preventative measures and how we can go about dealing with it can target so much. You know, it's not just one way um, through fitness as well. well so, uh, 
Sorry, yes. <laughs> okay, no, I, I was going to say, no, sorry to interject. I was just going to say that's what's interesting about your work because you have the, um, not only have you worked and been able to see some of the problems, it's, you know, from a first-hand level and from a study level, sure. level but mm -hmm. you've also been able to implement solutions, especially with the fitness stuff, using that as an axiom to address, like, some of the mental stresses and the Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of times, most people, they focus just on... Um, the problems and the impact of stuff but you're actually as you said it's not the only thing that you're putting something out there and within that you've actually you know made it reach others where there's people around the world who have taken it up and, and mm -hmm. you know if they want to introduce it hey maybe you could even franchise it or something at some point like um you know like, mm -hmm. like Pauline Quirk Dance Academy you could have something where um, they go out there and they and, and they do it and stuff like that so um mm -hmm. It's possible. <laughs> but, um, Thank you. Well, I, it's a case of putting my passion, passion into practice, but it's it's just something I've wanted to express that bullying is everywhere and it takes place and it's found it's not just only in schools or in the workplace, but it's within relationships. It literally is everywhere. We even the you know it's political. You know how uh, you know people how you know put into fear in order to do something and you know for example um the whole voting process that that's what, actually what we call political bullying of because it's that fear so yeah it's it is a complex topic it is found everywhere and why i never wanted to drop it is because i know that whatever area i go into i could always implement what i learned throughout my phd in within the work field so that's what i've done now, do you, would you, now, with that being said, have you found any, um, I mean, obviously there's always, you know, the trials and tribulations, ups and downs and stuff. Have you found any sort of adverse opposition just to the work that you do? Because, you know, you're raising a lot mm. of awareness, as you said, against bullying, not just at a, a local level, but at institutional level, at, at many different levels. So um, have you felt any backlash from people saying, you know, who does this sort of woman think she is? You know, why are you defending this or why are you speaking on that or do you find there's more support and stuff uh i would say i have faced opposition um on a couple of different levels when i've been in conferences and i'm with uh, other academics or anti-bullying specialists because not all of them have phds not all of them are scholars a lot of uh, anti-bullying specialists are motivational speakers they're teachers they publish work and i'm not going to like you know undermine them anyway because they're all are specialists in their own area where there's been a conflict is actually trying to establish what is is this particular act bullying or is it particular harassment is it a one-off or not now my um my singular argument is that throughout this, I would say, generations of bullying, and bullying's been going on for centuries. It's only been acknowledged, I would say, in the last 20 years, uh, especially in schools because of suicide. The definition is not acknowledged, and this is something that everybody needs to understand is what is bullying. It is all about intention to harm. Now, where you have intention to harm, Generally, bullying is something that's more long-term. It's systematic. It happens over a period of time, whether it's days, weeks, months, years. But a single act of uh, bullying, whether it's physical, it's cyber or something, but it's that the impact of the intention, where there's intention to harm, one single act can have as much of an impact as somebody being bullied over several you know, weeks or something like that. So 
this is where there's been a conflict of understanding, establishing that is this bullying or not. And I'm, and I just come back to the argument: if there's intention to harm, it's bullying. So on uh, with um, with coworkers uh, from other jobs, again, it's certain uh, languages used. Is whether it's derogatory, is this is it politically correct to be able to use this word? I just discovered. But two weeks ago that, you know, from my nephew that used saying the word oriental is actually a racist word. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, I didn't actually realize that. Yeah. I mean, we, for example, we can't say black. Black is also considered has a derogatory of it. So or even the word, sorry, not black, colored. So it is, it's just interesting on how things and times are changing. I faced a lot of opposition on social media where there's been conversations, topics brought up. I'll throw in an idea and I'll, especially I'm, I'm, I'm a labor supporter and I'm a staunch uh, Democrat. When I've come across people who are staunch Republicans, there's a huge clash from what, uh, what, is, what is considered racist, what is considered a phobic, what, you know, they're, they're very much, they are more inclined to uh, believing and following the practice of the religion, even though they, the religion, you know, a lot maybe against homosexuality. I'm, I have conflicts in that way. And a lot of times the discussions is that the arguments can almost fall into a sense of bullying as well. And when I've tried to, um, I would say stand up for myself or talk. I've been accused of, oh, you're an anti-bullying specialist, but you're bullying me. And I'm like, no, I'm just telling you something as a fact. So it's, it's interesting how much social media really tells you about people. And oh, I have had conflicts. I've had a lot of conflicts with people who live in the Midwest, in the more heavily you know, Republican states like Tennessee, Florida, all those, all those places. I, okay. I could never, never live anywhere but the East Coast, <laughs> literally. <laughs> I'm too much of a leftist and I'm too much, you know, my, my mind, my thoughts are very much of a, on the independent level. Yeah, no, okay, yeah, and it's interesting you say that because you make a point where you say about a lot of the labels that were um, all been subject to you. Mm-hmm. I, I make light of it sometimes, even with this podcast. We, uh, you know, we're entitled sure. to TBM, Diary of a Tired Black Man. Mm-hmm. However, you know, I do always point out that these are often terminologies that have been either been given to us, introduced to us, and then sometimes, as you said, we can adopt them, like um, saying something like Oriental and then. Um, you know, you find out mm-hmm. it's a slur or it, or it causes an offense to somebody in some way. So, uh, yes, I think nowadays there is a lot of um, not excessive political correctness, but there is. Um, I'm, I'm sort of glad that there's more conversation being had on certain topics. We've seen yes. recent events in the U.S., you know, spark from the, the George Floyd and the Breonna Taylor and, and mm-hmm. more over some recent murders and stuff. And um, within that, we've seen a lot of protests within that we've seen not just um, yep. people from one community or nation, people from different nationalities and communities coming forward and saying, we've mm-hmm. either had these sort of experiences or we're willing to more stand up now. Because one of the things that you mentioned and we talk about bullying, it's like, um, sometimes it's not everybody. It's just like being in a school playground or something. You could have that one kid that's the bully and he's bullying, he's got his victims in. The rest of the people, they may know that the victims are being bullied, but they're not standing up to to say or do anything about it. So um, mm-hmm. we've sort of seen a bit more of that in society in a sense now where people are coming forward and saying, well, we see some of the ills and the wrongdoing and um, we're willing to stand forward. And, and not just that, we've seen so many different communities, I guess, as well, even um, 
people from South Asian communities, um, Latino communities, and, and Dominican, mm-hmm. and all sorts of stuff, explaining just that there's also certain um, systems and stuff of thinking and colorism, even within their own peoples and stuff as well. So, uh, sure. There's, there's there's so much stuff going on. You've been out there, well, recently been out there in the States and stuff. How mm-hmm. do you find it in comparison to the UK? Do you feel as though there's more of a, because some people say the UK is quite diverse and mixed and stuff as well, and especially being out there in the East Coast, Jersey, New York, and places like that, mm-hmm. you know, the, the cultural mixing part. But do you find the people more accepting of each other as a collective in the States or the UK? Or do you think there's not much difference? I mean, um, just in your ex- experience. I generally feel that, um, and I'm not trying to be biased here. No, um, obviously, I was born and raised in this country. My love is England. But overall, Bonzi, I believe that people are more accepting in this country. Um, I think especially when it comes to the topic of terrorism, because we've been used to the IRA, I think that our media is so much more open. I mean, every, every news has some element of control, but nothing is, is as badly controlled as the US media. It's, it's incredible. You put on CNN and then you go to Fox News and wow. they're polar apart. And this, the, the, the level of manipulation in the news, it's incredible. And I come here, I listen to Channel 4, I go into Sky, uh, the BBC, you know, the British BBC, and I feel so much more liberated I believe we're a lot more well-informed as to what's going on outside of the corners of the UK border. Um, there, there are so many people in America who, I think it's that 60% of Americans don't have a passport. So that means 60% have never stepped out of the country. Of course. There's so they, much ignorance. If they travel, it's just... Um, There's so much ignorance in America. It, it's beyond belief. Exactly. Yeah. I believe exposure exposure is as much as possible it's what broadens your horizons meeting of more people um living on the east coast it's i've never come across a more culturally diverse place in my entire life living in manhattan especially i think i've tried almost every form of cuisine and i've loved that um so there's no difference compared to here but so on the east coast west coast people are more accepting but the vast majority of Americans where it's, you go to some hilly-billy areas where they just want to see the white faces only. You know, you would have that element over here, but I think in general, people are a lot more accepting. I think it's because of our media, our government, the laws put into place. Those are number one things. Yes, racism still here. I think Brexit, 90% of why Brexit happened was because of immigration issues, the fear of having another war or, you know, it was again, you know, a lot of racist elements came out. But from my experience, from the coverage, from the opportunities given to different, you know, members of different ethnic diversity, and overall the attitude is a lot more accepting here. I mean, you're going to get the good and the bad in every, everywhere, every society, every culture, but... I have felt a lot more hindered um, in America compared to here. And it's not about being a person of color, but it's just about attitude. I'm just glad that um, I was living on the East Coast and I was lucky in the sense of having that British background. It did put me in a slightly better position, you know, compared to, to others. But okay, overall, yeah. well, no, overall just, I think people are more accepting. I think people are more accepting in this country and they want to know why and they're more well-informed. Yeah, and I was going to say, it's interesting you say that because when I do visit the States and stuff like that, um, 
I do say, like I've been to some of these hillbilly sort of places, but I've been, yeah. not to say I would be treated bad otherwise, but they've treated me good. But then I say to people sometimes, I'm, I'm going as like a tourist from the UK pretty much. So sure. uh, yeah. the way they would probably receive me is going to be different. It's like, oh, hey, you're a British guy. Oh, you know, da, 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 da. But, yeah. Mm. You know, if I probably lived out there and I was in um, Kentucky or one of those places, it, it, you know, might be a bit different. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have had students who've told me the horrendous uh, uh, situations of face because of being black, because of or they're of particular Hispanic background. You know, there is still a lot of uh, that, that kind of ignorant racism there. There, there is here too. Of course. But overall, I have felt that the British society are more civilized and a lot more accepting. Accepting. Okay, so where we're at now in the wake of all the stuff with, um, you know, the mm -hmm. protests and, and do you have an, an opinion on just sort of all that stuff going on? Because some are saying it's wrong to, for people to be out there protesting and pulling down statues and stuff. And I'm not saying people should, you know, pull down statues because right. there's so much politics going on that there's actually like saboteurs <laughs> and other, other people in the getting involved. In yeah. the, so, um, I mean, yeah. I think, sure. Yeah, no, go Sorry. ahead. I think that the initial anger, the resentment was for the right reasons. I think so many things have been taken out of control. For example, all the looting. I mean, Manhattan has been almost completely destroyed. And oh, wow. I was shown a video. Uh, yeah, I was shown a video that the media does not show. And it's like, it's like a ghost town. It really is. It's all boarded up. Um, I don't believe, I, I agree, protests, yes, do be peacefully, but have that social distance. You're going to go out, wear a mask. I don't want to say you can't go and protest. I believe in freedom of speech, and I, especially on a topic as, as, as crucial as this, you know, I, I'm glad that people have, it's not just black people have really, it's hit hard. It's even hit hard to a lot of my Indian and other friends as well. People of, of different, you know, ethnicities, it's hit home to them as well. But um, I, I think that people are being careless. Um, I'm glad that the New York, actually, the East Coast is doing better than other places. But where I feel it's been taken out of context, where it's gone wrong, um, is where people have taken advantage by looting, taking things themselves. Um, I, I think a president, well, I've never accepted Donald Trump. I call him Donald Trump, to be honest. I think because of his uh, presidency, his time in administration, has allowed for this real hardcore white supremacy racism to open its lid and come out and it's almost you know it's like almost condoning any every form of you know sheer you know, racism out of sheer hate for no reason and i feel he's taken america back like almost 50 years because we were moving forward at such a fast rate through the obama administration i can't even tell you i miss them so much you know from empowering young women i mean michelle obama had a huge impact in the country and quite frankly if she ran for you know presidency she'd probably win hands down i well, really I, do I, believe I would that. rather see her in, in in that position than um hillary clinton but that's a different story i know <laughs> I, but i think, I think hillary clinton 
I think if Hillary Clinton was prime, was a president, we would not be in the situation, especially with the COVID nineteen. She would have listened. Well, Donald I mean, Trump did not. Apparently, listen. she's she's in um she's due to be in court soon for some other stuff. I I'm not even going to get into all of that. Oh really? Oh well, that was a topic for another day. Well, I did like the Clintons. I did like Bill Clinton, <laughs> but I think um she would have made a better president by far. Donald Trump seriously, he well yeah. he. he He's a narcissist and he just doesn't care. It's everything for himself. No, I, but I agree. And we're seeing similar shades in the UK with um, Boris Johnson, who appears yeah. to be playing a similar sort of character and role. Um, what I was going to yeah. ask you as well is, um, you know, you know, just while we're on the topic of the, of the whole COVID, there's mm. been a lot of reports that they're suggesting. Now, I know you, you, you're not a medical doctor per se, but um, they're suggesting mm. that blacks well what they call blacks and i really dislike the term sometimes but i have to use it because we're all bound by these terrestrial labels they give us but b-a-m-e black and ethnic my uh, minorities mm. who are apparently higher at risk and you know more susceptible to catch this now do you think there's any credence to this and and is that something that um they're saying in the states as well because i've heard a bit of it in the states in some states they're saying that but that's something they're reporting quite heavy in the UK. They're even suggesting that um, if they start doing testing, that maybe this should be rolled out to those community groups first. Um, are you talking about particularly the uh, African American community or the South Asian community? Well, they, in, I've heard. I was in, asked this, and if you, in not UK, really. In the UK, they're saying as a as a general sort of what they call BAME, so Black and Ethnic. Uh, my right. Yes. Like, no. Honestly, Fonzie, no. Yeah. No, not really. I, I. This is something I've come across a lot. That where the more than the black and ethnic uh, communities, it's more the South Asian community, especially the Pakistani community. That I, I remember somebody else, uh, you know, brought this up to me in an interview a while ago. No, this has not been an area that's been discussed. It's more about the states per se not really targeting any communities okay okay so yeah. and i know i i found that so unusual um and i think that's another form i'm not going to say it's a target of racism but it's almost like it is targeting for you know, it, it depends people on you are know, saying that way yeah that i mean i'm yeah. you know as i've said I'm, i don't want to get into the medical side but that's it i mean there is that suggestion yeah. because people are saying within that it gives people grounds to ostracize people a bit more on the streets or if they're some people now yeah and groups if you're walking out on the street and you don't have your mask on or you in people are looking at you strange and stuff or whatever um yeah I mean, one time i was actually out and I, I literally, this is when the lockdown was kind of um, still going on in mm. the UK. And, and I mean, it's still mm. going on now, but a lot more intense. And at the time, you know, I'm adhering to government guidelines and everything. They say you can be mm. out of your house for at least um, an hour a day and stuff. And um, now I actually left my house at one point and I hadn't left my house all day. And I was, I was stood by a train station waiting for a train and I see mm -hmm. the police officer and she just looks at me and she's like oh I hope you're going home no like you better be going home now or something or and I was like what an attitude because there were so many other people around but for her to just look at me and suggest that she doesn't know I've, I've literally just came out out my house she doesn't know where I live or anything so I sort of pulled her up on it so um 
my point is similar to what you're saying maybe we might see more people being um you know stopped and, and harassed and stuff now as well maybe not just from the police but maybe from others because they feel you've got a higher chance of spreading something to them that hasn't something that's generally that hasn't been brought up in america at all it's more about um to be honest, people being careless and too relaxed and just not wearing the masks. I have to admit, I'm really shocked. When I flew into Heathrow last week, um, no, sorry, yeah, it was the end of last week, early this week, and even the, you know, in immigration, nobody's wearing a mask. The only people I saw wearing a mask were people who just boarded our flight. And then my brother picked me up from Heathrow, we drove up, uh, we stopped at a service station, and I was still pretty, you know, jet lagged and, you know, tired because I hadn't slept hardly the night before. And it just dawned on me when we're walking out of the service station that my brother and I were the only two people wearing a mask. And oh, wow. I heard my mum was saying, you know, we're from the Northeast and Newcastle and that nobody's wearing a face mask. And I'm like, this is insane. The, the virus, just because it's getting warmer, the virus is not gone. And we do not need to have another lockdown. I know people are frustrated. And I think that's what's happening in a lot of the Midwest. And I know in Nevada, it started to, the, the numbers have risen there. And I have a friend in Nevada and they were saying, well, you know, it's like 110 degrees and we can wear a mask. But, you know, it's, got, it's gone up. And, you know, it's good that in the East Coast, the numbers have actually gone down because there's been so many deaths that people have been, are so scared and, in New Jersey, the area that I used to live in, it, yeah. I felt extremely safe. You know, you, you would not be served anywhere if you were not wearing a mask. No, uh, no. Oh, well, that's good. I mean, there's a few interesting points with that because one thing within, is similar in the UK, they've recently announced as of, it could have been late June that if you're mm -hmm. doing any traveling on any sort of public transport or anything like that, you've got, it's, you know, now compulsory, you should wear a mask. Now, yeah. I've, I've did a few bits of travel for work and necessities and stuff. And um, it's amazing that a lot of people you see who are traveling and they, they sort of have a, like a blind refusal to even wear a mask. <laughs> they just don't want to wear them. I know. I but think they, the problem is that here it's not been, it's not mandated to wear a mask and it should be. Well, it, ha it, has been, it has been now, but there's nobody probably there to actually enforce it as such. And um, yeah. but people's attitudes towards it is now. I'm not saying it's it's just an English thing because we've seen similar mm. in the states, which I find quite interesting. I mean, we've been, we've yeah. seen people making memes and all sorts of stuff and um, comparing the masks to um, like the hijabs and scarves and stuff. And saying, oh, we yeah, we I know, cover our mm -hmm. faces and stuff, and it's like. I mean, there's such an ignorance that still sort of um, exists within people where um, yeah, they just don't want to be told anything what to do. They just, you know, even if it's for their own good. Mm -hmm. it's, well, it's just, I want to move forward. I hate the fact that we are, we're all in lockdown. I, have, I hate the fact that I can't even go and visit friends in a different part of the country because everybody's in lockdown, but if we are not going to adhere, if we are not going to have that social distance, if we, the longer everybody takes on this careless attitude, the longer we're going to be in lockdown and it's affecting the economy, it's affecting our lives. It's, it's just, it's affecting, it's going to become, we are going to end up, even if we have vaccinations, and it's, even then I don't even think they're going to be 100% effective. We're going to end up having to 
live a different way. It's called, you know, having the new normal, where masks or sanitization, you know, where we used to be a lot more freer in the past, it's not going to be the same. And I think if people just held on a little longer, I think we could, we wouldn't even need a second wave if people just stayed home. They, they went out, wore more masks, only got if it's for anything essential and just, you know, stuck to it by the end of the year until they brought out a vaccine. See, the problem is that more healthier, the stronger people think, oh, well, you know, if I get it, I'll be fine. That's not the case. The problem is that you may be asymptomatic and you may go to somebody whose immune system is a lot weaker and without realizing passing something on, and that person could be dead in a month. So it's, for me, it's extremely selfish the why people are not just putting on their damn masks. And, and you know, I, me wearing a mask is protecting you, but you not wearing a mask, you're giving it to me. Of course, yeah. No, it's just extremely, extremely selfish. It's uncomfortable. I'm telling you, I went through four different face masks. British Airways were great. They were saying, they were making us change and saying every mask lasts four hours. They were changing it. The JFK airport, it was stinging my eyes because it was sanitized that well. I actually felt safer even on the airplane. It was well clean. They were giving us sanitized with PPP packages. I think we all need to exercise not being thinking about ourselves, but thinking about others. And I think that message has slipped. Now I was watching... Um, Sky News during uh, lunch and the, you know, in London because the bars and pubs had all opened up yesterday. Again, I don't agree with that, but people, it was like a, a big festival and it, it there was no crazy. social distancing. Yeah, no, the, so I think a lot of people within that have decided social distancing is out the window. Um, I don't actually agree because, you know, they've opened things back up, but they haven't dropped the social distance. No, they haven't. The cases hasn't dropped. In England, England isn't like most of Europe. It, you know, it's still quite high. I know America is one of the fourth worst countries in the world, but we're not far behind. And and I was telling my sister-in-law that, you know, I said, Becky, I've been so careful. I hadn't gone out the house in three months, uh, you know, only to go to the bank or to the, you know, supermarket or something like that. I literally did not step out the town. And I said, I do not want to come back here and after a couple of weeks or a month, fall sick. You know, I have elderly parents. My dad is diabetic. My mom has high blood pressure and everything. And so they wanted me back home. And I said, no, I need to be in self-isolation. I, I just said, you know, I'll wear a mask and I'll say, hey, I've just come from New York. And maybe that made people run a mile from me. But I just think it's very, very selfish. And I don't understand why it's not made law. Why are oh, you can go into a supermarket and they will serve you and you're not wearing a mask? Yeah, no. Well, I, because literally on all of the stores everywhere, I mean, banks, banks were closed. You could, you'd have to make an appointment to go into the bank. They were literally saying, if you do not wear a mask, you're not allowed entrance. You are not going to be served. So, it's, yeah, I so, think it, it should be like that. Absolutely. And that's why cases have actually dropped on the East Coast. The rest of the other parts where they've actually risen again is because of that blase attitude. And it's not helping. I mean, if, you, if people want to have this kind of current situation for the next three, four, five years, then carry on. You know, who knows how long vaccinations are going to take and how many people it'll be effective on. You know, there's going to be a lot more deaths, a lot more tragedies. And I think the problem is people are going to be, well, it is what it is. It's meant to be, but no, it doesn't have to be like that. I hate the fact that I can't go out and see half of my friends. I really do. I feel like we're almost like being prisoned, you know, it's like we're all being home prisoned. 
homeschool, you know, jailed at home. Yeah, jail. Like being untagged. I've never been untagged, but it's like being untagged. <laughs> yeah, it's like being untagged, yeah. <laughs> and on the topic of bullying, it's allowed because I'm not sure about over in the UK, but in the US, all the courts are still closed. They're all operating from an online, uh, they're doing online Zoom cases. And it's the cases, the statistics of domestic violence and cyber harassment and bullying has just shot up. Wow, because crazy. you know what? People know the courts are closed. Police have got other priorities. Exactly. I can bully and harass this person and nothing's going to happen. Yeah. And I've been a victim of it myself. You know, that's the most surprising thing. And um, my message, especially to any viewers or listeners who have experienced something similar, all I will say is still have faith in the police, but do not keep silent. I reached out. I've actually, I, I call myself a survivor because I got support. I've spoken to a few professionals in the field of cyberbullying and harassment. And one I will like to promote because this woman is amazing. It's actually a Canadian-based organization called Raver. Called, it's um, Raising Your Voice Against Online um, Harassment and Cyberbullying. Uh, you know, bullying. So, and she has single-handedly helped me as a professional, as an ex, as an expert, as a specialist in the field of bullying, because my ordeal was gone on for the better part of nine, eight, nine months, and that's a long time when you're trying to work and you're dealing with other issues. Okay. And I know, in the, with domestic violence, I was delivering workshops before. COVID-19 started, I know that there's going to be so many people who are stuck at home. They're going to be victims of a certain amount of abuse, whether it's through the partners or through people on social media. I would have to say, please do not sit, sit at home. Do not stay silent. Get that help. It does help. It does work. And you can get through it. Right. Uh, and it's, I'm glad you said that because I was actually going to ask you, that was actually going to be my next sort of lead off point was to ask <laughs> what you would impart to people here, you know, because we was talking about just uh, solutions and stuff like that as well. And sure. just understanding the tumultuous and difficult times that we're in now for a lot of people, which you just touched on and how it will have yeah. a, its impact and stuff like that. So um, mm -hmm. you definitely touched on some wide, wise, um, wise words for the people. Um, and definitely I'll say peace to yourself as well because, you know, from when we first met and we actually did an interview then and he was working around the anti-bullying stuff and I think I um, shared some of my own sort of experiences with sort of... Yes, you did, I remember. Stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's been good for myself, especially to even see the continuation of your work and just your growth as a person and individual and stuff as well. And... Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I say definitely keep your head up. There's always going to be haters, as we know. There's always going to be um, obstacles yeah. and stuff like that as well. That's life. So, um, and the best of us have to go through it. So, you know. You know, Vansi, uh, my, my biggest thing is always be true to yourself, regardless. And, you know, don't lie. What I'm learning, what I'm seeing is that those who have the bad intentions are being slapped in the face and I'm witnessing it right now. Put it this way, I'm having the last laugh, but it just, everybody's experience is different, but all I'm gonna say is never ever um, blame yourself, never ever allow it to affect your productivity. You know, if it is big, you, if you're falling depressed, it's stopping you from doing your regular daytime things. And, and that's why I also talk about exercise because it does help release certain, and the endorphins release certain stress the, on your neurons as well. It helps you, your mind as well. Um, 
get professional help. You don't have to pay a huge amount. Sometimes you don't have to pay anything just to seek the help. Speak to the professionals. I had, you know, spoken to family about my, my situation, some friends, but they all really couldn't help me until I spoke with Rena. I have also a couple of other friends who've been instrumental, but it wasn't until I got that professional help and, oh my God, it was like almost overnight, I was able to move forward. I was able to start, you know, believing that I can actually, you know, stop being afraid that this is going to impact my career, my work, or life, because what I've been going through is, is just been horrendous and nobody should have to go through it. I know people have had a lot worse kind of harassment, but what I've been through is just beyond belief and I'm just glad I sought the help and I want to get on. And yes, you can be stronger. I believe what doesn't kill you only, only makes you stronger, but to help others. And yet do not keep quiet Just speak out, speak to somebody, get the help. It does work. All right. And that's um, a powerful message. With that being said as well, I want to say um, a shout out to uh, Music Mind Matters and some of the organizations out there like Thrive who were working with musicians, working with artists, working with people amongst the community who were struggling with mental health issues or maybe you just need to chat or somebody to speak to. Maybe you mm -hmm. want to um, talk about stuff that's happened in the day. They're available at any time. You can check them out online and stuff. And I would say those guys, they do good work and stuff too. Excellent, yes. Mental health is certainly a big issue, which is linked to a lot of bullying as well. Of course, yeah. Because um, a lot of bullies will, you know, we won't go around on it too much because we're kind of coming to a to a head. But um, it's the same thing. A lot of bullies as well. They are known. They will use stuff against you, so um, they can use your mental disposition against you and stuff as well. And often will sometimes. So um, which can lead to even yeah. causing you more mental disposition. <laughs> so um, it's a dangerous. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But um, it's been a blast definitely speaking with you and um, getting your thoughts and takes on where things are at and um, even just with the work that you've done and how you sort of got started and how things have sort of rolled out for you and stuff as well. Um, I don't really think there's anything else that I would ask that you haven't said because a lot of the questions and areas I wanted to touch on you definitely spoke about just in conversing. So um, I think that was good and natural. Mm -hmm. And um it's always a pleasure connecting and stuff like that. And when is the next? That's actually my question. I want to ask: When's the next book? How about that? When is the next? <laughs> I don't know about a book, but what I am going to be doing, I have teamed up with Rena, and I told her I want to do some publication around, um, especially relating to domestic violence and bullying, because as a life coach, that's one of my areas. I want to talk about the narcissist. Okay. Because this is something that um, it's so prevalent. And I think I have helped myself through educating myself about the NARC, but a lot of people do not know and understand. So I would say the next form of work, I'm just getting myself a bit of time to get more settled in. But something she's very keen about doing, so co-authoring, yeah, I want to talk about the narcissist. I want to do maybe some weekly or monthly, you know, bi-weekly blogs on my um, own social media pages, um, totally transforming you. That comes under the umbrella of Action Against Bullying, but I have my own separate Facebook page, um, also uh, um, on Instagram. So that comes with the coaching. So yes, it will be talking about the narcissist. So it's just small things, but just to give people tips and ideas, just to um, let people be aware 
that it, it can be a partner, it can be a co-worker, it can be your boss, it can be, you know, your sibling, just to understand and recognize what the narcissist is about how they operate, the manipulation, the, the difference in the language, and just to really protect yourself. And in all, I, in all honesty, and if you know somebody you're going to come across to really just go no contact and just run, <laughs> just stay away because until these people are ready to get help, there's nothing you can do. And these kind of individuals can make your life a living hell. Well, that sounds like some definitely some powerful information and stuff like that. Um, and something that, as you You're said, welcome. quite necessary and timely. Um, do you have any social media tags that you want to leave for people? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, my organization, the website is www.actionagainstbullying.org. My Twitter name is at Dr. Saira Qureshi, and it's Saira, it's S-A-I-R-A-H, Qureshi, Q-U-R-E-S-H-I, it's a capital S, capital Q, Instagram, Saira Qureshi, all lowercase, um, Facebook is Totally Transforming You and uh, Action Against Bullying, and LinkedIn, again, it's, it's my first and last name as well, so all of those can, uh, pay, social media pages can be found on my website. Okay, awesome. So um, I'll, I'll find a way to get, we'll get that put up on there and stuff as well. So um, Not a problem, sure. Pretty awesome. So um, I definitely appreciate your time and stuff like that. So um, it's been a blast speaking to you. And um, thank you. Once again, I want to give a big ups to Anchor FM for powering us every week on this podcast and making sure that we're sounding crucial on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and all the other major platforms. So um, once again, for the Bat That Family, peace to the family. Um, stay up, stay woke, and always look out for your folk.